Hey everyone, I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly and this is A Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com slash membership and use the coupon code PODCAST10 to get 10% off an annual plan. Special thanks to Omida, the exclusive sponsor of Season 2 of the AMO Podcast. My guest this week is Adam Ryan, co-founder and CEO of Workweek. During this 60-minute conversation, we talked about the company's drive to find creators that are fun to work with, how they are building the business, and how one of the best things you as an individual can do is just hit publish. I hope you enjoy our discussion. So something you may not know about me, but for about 30 minutes, I thought about becoming a history teacher. It's actually the major I chose when I was accepted to college, but then quickly realized that teachers don't get paid a lot of money, and I uh, quickly shifted away from that. You were a high school teacher, as far as I know, and you have your bachelor's and your master's in education. How does a teacher go on to become the CEO of a media company? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, all of our journeys aren't linear. I think it's every, every background builds on top of each other. And I feel incredibly uh, lucky and, and uh, blessed that I had education as the foundation of my background. I, uh, the story essentially was like, I grew up with teachers and nurses in my family. I, there's a story that I remember is walking by the business school and my mom goes, I don't like, what job do you get when you go to business school? And I was like, I don't know. Um, and, uh, then I walked right into education school and, and wanted to be a football coach and a, and a soul studies teacher. And, I quickly kind of like realized that I wasn't the hero I needed to be to to teach ninth grade American government. I, I loved all 128 students I had, but uh, I actually really loved business at the time. I had a couple internships uh, for Red Bull and Procter and Gamble and HP, and just kind of started like love business and sales and was like making good money. But I was like teaching, and I I was like you know teaching foundationally just trying to help people get to an outcome uh through influence and uh i was like oh i could do that on the corporate level so i uh got my master's degree in workforce education with an emphasis in online uh which in 2013 my dad was like wait what um and the goal was to create online curriculum for uh corporations where i would be like a corporate trainer but primarily doing online learning and uh when i went to potentially go explore that route post master's degree, I was like, I can't teach anybody shit because I don't know anything. And I got a job at a media company and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And then it was off to the races. And so you spent four years at the hustle, starting first in sales and finishing as the president. I'm obviously at Morning Brew Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say we were, I think we were like friendly competitors you know, it was, it was, I, I, I like, I like friendliness, no matter competitor or ally. I think the reality is we had a, I did a, I did a pitch one time to Austin reef. Our audience overlap was about 15%, but our advertiser overlap was a hundred percent, uh, which, uh, so it depends how you want to deem competitors. So we weren't the first newsletter brands ever, right? This no. game had come before us. There was many before that, but you know, when it comes to serving a broad audience, which we both did, we were probably two of the most successful. Why do you think these products worked 
And in 2022, do you think an entrepreneur could come along and create a competitor? Yeah. Um, the answer quickly, like not in the same way. Um, uh, and, and you couldn't do it. Uh, the environment has shifted. Um, I think the reason why 2016 was this like beautiful time to build a mass newsletter business was because you had daily candy, you had the skim, like proving out the medium, almost like wedging that conversation in that like newsletters can be a place of attention. Uh, but on the business side, it hadn't been captured yet. Um, and we were able to, to do that in a good timing, but also on the flip side, paid acquisition and referral programs were like the number one and two ways both companies grew. And I remember at one point we had like taped, a a dollar to the person on who led our growth and said like, this is how much we want to acquire an email address for. In 2022, that is impossible um, to do that, maybe except on TikTok, but that's a different thing. And then referral programs, it's not like they don't work today, um, but they have lost their luster because of saturation in just like in a way that like, just like gamification can only work if people are excited to play the game and that game has been played um, and it hasn't been adapted. So if, if, launching a newsletter business in 2022, you better have different ways to grow than the two ways that the hustle and morning brew did. And so we'll come back to growth in a little bit. Uh, cause I do want to talk about growth and, and work week, but let's, let's ground this conversation a little bit. Work week launched about nine months ago. Well, your LinkedIn says you launched it nine months ago, yeah. but you actually officially announced it only, I want to say five months ago. Yeah. Not even Yeah, four months. Not even right. Have, yeah. You've got 10 industries that you cover. 12 creators, including yourself. Yep. Where did the idea come from to launch Workweek and why was this the thing you wanted to do next? Yeah. Um, it's actually nothing to do with media or money or creators. Um, it started um, because I found myself in a place in the spring of, of 21. Um, you know, the hustle had just sold the HubSpot. Um, I was like doing a bunch of random shit. Uh, I started investing with the churning group as an operating partner. Uh, and, but I just like, wasn't fulfilled, uh, and kind of just like felt like, wow, I'm a builder. This is what I love to do, but I don't know what to build. And I also like wanted to work with people that I loved. Um, and that doesn't mean I needed to know them, but like people that give you energy and excitement and like make you be better. And I, the other piece is like, I, I was offered lots of different opportunities to be like, Hey, do this newsletter business. We can sell it in three years and do this. And like, this is like not the game I wanted to play. I didn't want to do an ad agency. I didn't want to like do these things that just seemed like they were arbitraging the momentum that I had built. And, um, I sat down with Becca, uh, who's my co-founder at Workweek, and we live about eight minutes from each other. And we sat down at a coffee shop and we just started talking about like, what are the things we loved most about working together? What is a culture if we could choose it from the start that we would be proud of? And we wrote down a set of values and operating principles with no, no work week, no business, no revenue, nothing. And just said like, could we build a group of people that match this? And if we do, 
it could, could it be something we do for a very long time? And that was the start. Um, and we wrote that down and people, we still use those as our values at work week today and operating principles and be like, wow, these are so thought, thought over. And it took us like 30 minutes because it just came from like our heart and it like came from like who we are as people. And then it was like, okay, cool. This is good. This like makes us feel like we can do something for a long time. And when you start to have longer time horizons, you can start to take way bigger bets and ideas. And one of the things that I thought about is like, I have been classified a media person. My career has been spent in media. It's also like what I know. I can't run away from it. But in many ways, like on the investor side, I was like shocked. Like, it's just not a good business on the markets. Like there's public markets don't value media companies. Startups just are dying for software companies to buy them. Like there's just very few uh, media companies that economically achieve massive impact. And specifically like the number 10 billion came to mind of like what media companies have done, have been valued at 10 billion created uh, in the last like few decades and like Netflix and a few others, but like none that actually cover like anything related to news at all. Um, and I thought, you know, and, and Beck and I were talking about, I was like, there's gotta be a way to do this. Like there's gotta be a way where you can like take a step back and throw away the old playbook and create a new one where like, could we create something, an ecosystem that's worth 10 billion one day. And we have, we're more than comfortable committing a very long time to that if we can ha- work with the people that we love. And, uh, and that's what kind of started the work week kind of idea and, and path. And so on your about page, you say that people follow people, not yep. institutions. Yeah. And in some respects, I agree with you. Yeah. And yet the most successful media company in the world is a 170 year old institution from a business perspective, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, and FT are all centralized institutions. Yep. Even Fox News, which is a talent business, has consistently lost hosts, and yet it continues to grow and generate more money than it ever has before. Is it actually that people trust people and follow people, or do people like people backed by institutions and brands? Mm. Um, so I got to tell you where work week came from and the, where that line came from. So I uh, started helping uh, a bunch of people in January 2021. I started reaching out to a bunch of B2B-ish creators. Not all either. I reached out to like someone who cooks. Um, but I started reaching out to creators and honestly just offering free time and saying, hey, can I help you? And started talking to them. In total, in that springtime, I, I met with over 100 creators. Um, and uh, but a couple of those people stood out, uh, Mario Gabriel with the generalist and Packy with not boring. And one of the things that, uh, Packy said, and he, he knows, I, I tell the story now, uh, and he cracks up, but he was like, I want to make a million dollars this year. And I just kind of like looked at his business objectively. And I was like, if Jacob Donnelly or myself looked at this business and like the engagement you're getting, this could do $10 million this year. And it just like the light bulb clicked off of like Packy had this huge amount of people with massive influence that literally he was replacing Gartner. Like he was changing the way that people viewed what softwares were best in class. And he's doing it out of like a basement and he's just this one person. And that's where that came from is like, um, people are following these individuals and their success is 
unbelievable, but they're not capturing the value that they're worth. And this isn't a new story. Like if you want to bring up old institutions, like the LA Times is 120 years old. They have influenced where Olympics are held. They have changed culture in every way in the most culture-driven city in the world. And three years ago, they sold for a tenth of what my HR software is worth. Like they're, the cultural liquidity of what media companies offer has never matched the economic liquidity. And like that to me, going from a tiny example of Packy saying, I wish I could make a million and me being like, it could be 10 to the LA times, not at all, even representing that there's a problem that's broken. And like, that's, that's what I mean by that though, is I think there's this shift of individuals, uh, having the opportunity to, uh, take over institutions um, from a consumer standpoint, but also uh, there's a way to capture that better on the liquidity side. So let's talk about the work week model. You know, you have, you know, like I said before, a network of creators across a vast number of industries. Yep. What goes into identifying creators that you want to partner with? What is your qualification process? Yeah. Um, so I believe there's a lot of subject matter experts out there in the world. Um, I think subject matter experts, I mean, uh, you work probably with 10 subject matter experts on the morning brew team, right? Like just that one business has at least 10. They might have 50 for all I know, right? Um, There's a lot of people that know industries in and out. There's very rarely that many voices of authority uh, in a space. And my belief is that... um, you can help people mechanically become a voice of authority. I can't help them become a subject matter expert, but I can help them with the mechanics to become the voice of authority in their space. And that that's just as much of their own willingness and desire to become that as well as their expertise. And then as well as the mechanics. And so our model is set up to help subject matter experts become voices of authority in their space. Um, and, you know, from there, um, how we how we do that every every opportunity is different which we can get into more but but that's really at the core of like how we how we start and then the question is and i get asked this all the time is like we have franchising climate fintech marketing we have all this all these things and they're like adam how do you vet for subject matter expertise and i think my very limited time uh working uh at the churning group really helped me become like identify as a deep generalist of someone who like has a lot like, okay, I'm, I'm analyzing a children's media company and I'm analyzing a plant media company. I mean, like I have to understand like, what are this? The reality is the mechanics, the churning group has proved this mechanics are almost always the same for all these roadmaps, but you have to understand like, are these people actually capturing the cultural liquidity that you want? And so one of the questions I start with, which is the first time I ever talked about this publicly, but I always ask, like, what are your inevitable truths of your industry? Um, and, you know, uh, they'll say, like, what do you mean? I'm saying, what does it mean to be a great media operator? What is an inevitable truth? Every person that's a great media operator is what? Um, and I dig in on that. And if they, you can just tell if they can go on that. And of course, we then like have them write and try it out and get their words. But like, if people instinctively have answers to that question, they've thought a lot about that space. And if they can back it up with like facts and knowledge in their writing, it's, it's, it proves out to be the case. And I think it allows us to lift voices in many ways that like, you know, we, when we launched a lot of people, 
We're like, oh, those are no, they're, they're tiny. Like they're, 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 no one knows them, like whatever. And I think that's exactly how voices get diminished is like, it's the same crowd that it's the boys club that like keeps shouting the same voices. And like, we actually have a really unique opportunity to like lift voices up that are subject matter experts through, through a question like that. And so in the piece I wrote about you guys, when you first, you know, announced your, your launch, I wrote, if you're a creator with a large following, why would you choose to get hired by Workweek versus doing it on your own? Mm -hmm. And if you do want to be part of something bigger, why choose Workweek over the other media companies introducing newsletter offerings with a baked in audience? So I guess my question for you is what is your pitch to creators to make them understand that working with you, a company that is about five months old, is the right company to work with? Yeah. And I think since then we've, you know, uh, we've brought in Nick Sharma, who's a really big creator, I think, in that definition of probably how you would use. And, you know, Nicole Casperson didn't have any IP when we signed her. We've done, we've done all, all across the, the land and it's only evolving. Um, there's no pitch uh, that's like the magic sauce. Um, and it's really listening. Uh, I think one of the problems with creator platforms, um, which is like, in some ways, you know, in some ways we compete with no one and other ways we compete with everybody. Um, where could you go to Substack and use a platform? Could you go to Morning Brew? Could you do a bunch of like me work at a media company, Axios? Could you do you, options are endless. Um, and what I kind of the term that I started to use uh, are could be creators. Um, and that's a good thing. Um, if you're a good enough person uh, at creating content in this expertise that you have, you could do anything. You could raise a venture fund. You could launch a paywall. You could start selling ads, doing essays, launch a podcast. You could you could do a bunch of options. You could go work for a media company or do it on your own. Um, options are endless. And what I wanted to start to build uh, with Workweek is a business model that matches that. Um, because if we can't grow and give options to creators and allow them to actually achieve things that they are their biggest desires quickly, we don't have a business. And so you'll see soon, uh, I don't know when this podcast will be released, but you'll see soon we have, you know, a senior team uh, that represent absolutely amazing operators and education, advertising, subscription, venture fund, um, uh, events, uh, you name it. We're, and what we tried to create is like this out-of-box operating system. Um, and there's some tactics there financially that like make more sense for us to do this than a lot of media companies. And when we go to creator, the all I do is listen and say, what are your wildest ambitions? Like, what do you want to do? Who do you want to, who do you look up to? Do you want to run your own company one day? Do you want to like run a venture fund? Do you just want to write a newsletter? Do you want to like manage a team? Uh, and honestly, every answer is almost different. Um, and because of that, like our relationship with every creator is different. And I think our advantage is that like, you'll never have to fit a round peg in a square hole. Like I think a lot of media companies force you to do. Or on the other way, you don't have to, as a platform, you're normally only siloed and uh, your priority is only the way you make money, which is normally limited. And so our our pitch to creators is like, we allow you to be you and achieve your dream. And if we don't have that tool kit in the, in the, uh, in the operating system that you want to do, like, I'll go, I'll go do it. I'll go find it. Um, and sooner or later, 
I think we can start to support creators in their full journey, um, no matter what that looks like. One of the questions I have had multiple people ask me about your business, and it's why you're actually the first guest for this first this new season, is it's great to have all these different creators, but how do the terms of these deals work? Are you partnering with these creators? Are you aqua hiring the creators? Do you own the IP? Do they own the IP? Are they stuck with you? I'm telling you so many questions I received about this part of your business. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, the... Uh, the answer is yes to all of those. Um, and I don't say that to sidestep the question. I mean that that's our advantage. Like the, our legal team loves us because my legal fees are the biggest cost of the business almost at this point because every deal is structured differently. And the way that I go to a creator um, when they're like, hey, this is it and we find it to be a match and we're all good and when it comes time to do that, I say, here are like the 15 levers that Workweek has. They all can help you be successful in unique ways. Which ones do you want to pull? And then here's what we need in return for that. And because we aren't forcing people to follow one contract, whether we spin it out of a subsidiary or we buy the IP or we do a rev share, like all the options are different. And like out of all the creators we've signed so far, like truly no deal is even remotely the same almost. Um, And I think that actually helps us. I think that allows us to outmaneuver. There's a lot of, you know, Morning Brew uh, announced a creator program. Alex had an amazing tweet thread about that, um, about betting on creators. I think more and more media companies are going to go into this space because they're realizing individuals over institutions is not a bad thesis. But like they're, the problem is like they're going to have to adapt. And like, if you can't adapt your contract, you can't adapt with their growth. And like my ask the creators, like if they're sending you like a templated contract that they used for 10 other people, you, I can tell you exactly where your path is going to go because they did it with the other 10. For me, it's like, where do you want to go? You dictate those terms. Here are our levers. Here's what each of those come with, of course. Like Workweek has to pay the bills and, and do that as well. Um, but that's, that's kind of our approach. This episode is brought to you by Omida. On May 4th, they are hosting Omida Idea Exchange in Chicago, discussing some of the most important topics in media. I'll be there hosting a special edition of the AMO podcast, but you'll also hear from executives at Access Intelligence, Endeavor Business Media, and so many others. Don't miss your chance to register today. Visit omida.com and click OX5. And now, back to our discussion. All right, let's dive into tactics. Yeah. In many respects, Workweek has the feeling of a house of brands. Right? Yeah. Each, each publication is different. Yeah. The Wolf I, that's of a Franchise. Compliment. Thank you. No, I mean, it's, it's right. You have the Wolf of Franchises, you have Healthcare Huddle, my favorite Perpetual. So this is very much a house of brands. Yeah. And yet, you have built this site on a single publication. It's Workweek. Right now, yeah. Which. Okay, so that's my question. Like, are you trying to be a house of brands? Are you trying to be a branded house? Like, what direction do you really want to go in? Yeah, great question. Um, so, um, this goes back to, you know, we built our entire business model right now around creators and growth. And I've been called uh, investors that get to really know our business super intimately are like, wait, are you Dot Dash? Are you Y Combinator? Are you morning brew like i literally been compared to them all um and the 
the reality is like we've realized and we've created structured systems for this too, right? Like most creators start to say like, hey, here's where I want to go. So the Wolf of Franchise is a really good example since you brought it up. Day one, he had a very set clear of ambitions of where he wanted to take his brand and like where he wanted to go. He knew he when I reached out to him the first time, he had 15 newsletter subscribers. Um, it was actually after his very first Substack send. I reached out to him and said, I love this. Let's talk. Um, and so it was all vision. And he has led that vision. That vision right now is we're building out the wolf of franchises.com, and that will start to be its own brand on its own. But not every brand, in my opinion, stands up to that immediately. I actually think you set yourself up to fail sometimes when you're like, are so focused on siloing yourself, you lose this ecosystem. Uh, Barstool is like an interesting case study here, right? Like look at, look at how Barstool has systematically grown their creators internally. It's basically like you start them within the ecosystem, you have them spiral up, they get big enough, they spin them out. Nowadays, they just sell them. Um, but, um, that to me was an interesting idea is like, could you start to basically use work week as a way to help creators get started to to make them feel like they're part of something much bigger, which man, then makes their audience feel like they're part of something much bigger, which then lends credibility. This is all about making them the authoritative voice. Credibility is a big piece of that. As they get bigger, it's starting to grow. We have to not cap that. We have to allow them to release. So that might be uh, starting your own website. That might be a various other things that we're going to do. And, and sooner or later over time, just like Disney's known for being imaginative and like, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries of, of what's possible. Like I want work week to be the Disney of business, um, where we are a holding company in many ways, but we actually have a brand that's forward that stands for values and that has a reputation. And so I guess right now, what is the technical stack that powers the business? You talk about offering courses, newsletters, jobs, events at some point, now maybe not all right this second, but these are all things listed on the site that you're going to do. What tools are you using to actually accomplish all this? Yeah. Um, so we're building our, um, so we started uh, the business. So full transparency, we, 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 we screwed up a lot in the beginning with tech stack. So I can talk about that. I thought it would take four to five months to find four creators. Um, it took three weeks, uh, which was shocking. And we thought we'd get to 10 in 12 months. And we did that in about two months. Um, and so every fucked up all the timelines um of what we want to do the original idea was to do campaign monitor for like six to 12 months and then move to sail through and do a cdp uh where we started that transition already um and so um we're we're building that out um that will be the the main tech stack of the newsletters and using the cdp for for various sources um wordpress does our website not anything complicated um i think the best part of our team particularly beck and i is like we came from bootstrapped land and I think a lot of media, you know, media operators kind of crap on raising money. And I also have many times on Twitter because it's, they don't spend on shit that you have to spend money on. And for us, we come from this, like, Hey, be scrappy, like find your way to do it. And like, if we can build a WordPress site that we think is cool and beautiful, but it, it's not like a custom React that we need an engineer to do, like we're going to do it. Um, and so that's been, that's kind of been our mentality. But now over time, like we did build a database quickly um, and it just is like growing much faster, the, the amount of data that we're collecting. And ultimately, like in many ways, like 
we're a database business um, and um, we needed to adjust our tech stack to, to match that. Uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned how each agreement is different. You mentioned yep. that you know each each you know authority kind of decides their own vision, which adds levels of complexity, right? Because each each deal is going to require different things. You've got to keep keep an eye on the various different things you offer, which means the team is going to have to grow rather quickly. Yep. You and I have talked about you know both publicly and privately about the the uh, the wheel that media companies get on where they start to raise and raise and raise and raise and never get off. We saw this with Buzzfeed with all that stuff. How do you build this business without getting ahead of your skis? How do you, how do you not like, how do you get to sustainability when you're investing so much and creating honestly, like not efficiencies of scale because everything is so different. So I think that's the wrong assumption and I'll, I'll tell you why, but, um, a couple of things. Um, I, um, we did not expect to go this fast, um, bluntly. So I didn't expect to like need to build out the whole, let's say out of box operating system. Cause when you're only supporting four creators on your journey and one of them is you, you can be like, this is the operating system. All of a sudden you start like expanding that and going faster and you talk to 10, 12, 20, they all have different needs. You have to hire faster. So that was a strategic decision that we made about, uh, in December when we, when we felt like we had momentum, when we thought there was a need in the market, uh, that we we're solving a real problem for creators. We we're like, we have to go all in or we slow down. It's one of the two. Um, and so it's been wild. Uh, I had a baby, uh, on January 2nd, uh, and, uh, the last 90 days we've, brought on, um, some part-time, but brought on about 34 people, uh, including creators. Um, uh, big, that's bigger than the hustle was through my four years. Um, and that is a lot. What I'm most proud about is that all those people 100% represent the, the values that Beck and I uh, talked about. And so far, like we're, um, you know, we've had to let people go and we've, because when you hire fast, you make mistakes. Like we, we aren't first time operators that just don't let things go to the waste. We, we have to adjust and, and adapt. And, and that's the hardest part about growing fast. And in some ways we get over our skis in that way. Uh, I think most, and, and then the second piece is like, I have said from the very beginning to all our investors, really the whole team that like the magic of this business is delegation. Uh, and if you can find people who are, superstars at what they do. Um, you can do this. And I, I say a lot, um, I say we want to be the Disney of business, but I'm a massive theater nerd. I went to the original cast of Hamilton in New York. I'm like massive th- live theater person, fun fact about me. And I say what makes Hamilton so amazing is that like not, it wasn't that Lin-Manuel was just amazing because he is, but he found the best lighting. He found the best set people. He convinced some of the best support actors that would have been stars on their own to like take pay cuts to do it. He built a surrounding cast that like allowed him to focus on the script and being the, the, the lead and, but let everyone else do their thing. And in many ways, like we've started talking, like we've talked about this Beck and I did from like July, we have something in our notes, like build a Hamilton media structure. Um, and our senior team thus far, Three former CEOs, um, uh, not without including Beck and I, uh, we've done two uh, essentially like aqua hires to agencies uh, for for various business units. 
uh, of, of people who founded that their agencies had four or five people and we, we brought them on. Um, our head of growth was, um, you know, really great. Our head of operations, amazing. Um, we, we basically built a senior cast, uh, that I think in their own right are some of the best operators I've ever worked with in my life. Um, but they're only focused on events or education or advertising or et cetera. And, um, because of that, actually operationally, it feels fast. It feels crazy, but like we have such good people focusing on that where instead of doing a bottoms up strategy of saying like, I'm going to hire the cheap 24 year old that's never done this before. That's why we raised money is because like, it was like, no, I'm going to go build like the people are expensive and we're going to pay them what they deserve. I want them to worry about like thriving, not surviving. It's going to be expensive, but like, let's do it. And I'm proud to say like next month, that like bet is that you can get ROI on those hires. And like next month we will cover payroll or if not a hundred percent, like right there uh, with revenue. And I don't know a lot of media companies that are five months old growing as fast as we are diversifying revenue as fast as we are build a senior team while not being efficient with cash. And um, it's in our blood, it's in our bones to be efficient with cash. And um, I, I think you just have to like actually execute and do it and hire good people. So I want to talk about growth because, again, you and I were lucky to work at media companies, specifically newsletter companies that in that snapshot in time really could grow at just lightning speed. Crazy paces. It is harder today than it was then. thousand percent. <laughs> what What are you guys doing to grow the various products? Are there any channels in particular that you found effective in 2022 like what, what's, what's working for you guys? So because as a media operator podcast, I get to like dive in and actually talk about like my beliefs here. Uh, other people be like, this is way over my head. Um, so my, one of the things that like drew me to creators was actually seeing the organic growth of Packy. Um, and I was like doing the math and I can't help myself. He like says how many new subscribers he has every week. And I like keep track of it. I did this with Pomp. I did a whole tweet thread about Pomp's growth that I was like tracking organically. And like you and I know, that organic growth is like the fun fundamental way to drive profit. Uh, and normally they're the, your highest quality subscribers as well. Um, and they're where all the juice is basically made. And I was watching Packy and Mario and all these creators just like have fantastic organic growth. And I started just straight up reverse engineering what they were doing every second of the way. And I, that's where speaking with a hundred of them last spring, it was like, I wanted to know what they were doing. And of course it came from high quality contents. Number one, always with growth. I hear a lot of people always like, you know, there's a lot of believers, Nathan from every, and I just did a debate on my podcast about, uh, uh, growing and various tactics around that. And the, the reality is I'm not talking about shortcuts that like undercut quality content. So let's just assume that's there. Um, but what I learned was like, if you actually have an individual who's saying this is my brand and they're active and they have a tent pole of content that they work off of an essay, a podcast, whatever it is, but they have this tent pole. If you start to distribute that in a really successful way and it's theirs, the language, the words matter in, you know, co great copywriters say this all the time, but like for whatever reason, this is the individual over institution. If you straight up compare the same copy, but you say like, sign up for this institution, but you're like, sign up for my newsletter, I'm this person, the conversion rate is drastically higher on the my side. It's just how people respond. They want to be attached to a human. And so 
the organic growth rate of this like original thesis of building out for work week was like, you could find creators that their organic growth rate is drastically higher than media companies. And that means you also have a core nucleus of subscribers that you can do a lot more with. Um, and that to me was the starting point. And then, you know, those things are like somewhat obvious, but like doing Twitter threads, TikTok, like LinkedIn, still very viral, uh, platform, um, you know, and then doing things that don't scale. Uh, I tell all our creators, like first 30 days you're getting started, like DM people like on Twitter and be like, subscribe to my newsletter, like work. Um, and then once you start to see product market fit, once you're like, wow, like if I'm an, analyzing that business and I'm like, referral count is very high for the levels that we set. Your organic growth rate is here. You're like growing. You have signals across the board wherever I was an investor. I'd be like, yeah, I'd follow on that path. Now it's time to throw fuel in the fire, which is like put it in drip sequences, do, do paid ads, like find that piece. And for most of our creators, 75,000 to 100,000 subscribers is their TAM, um, is like on the high end, truthfully. Um, so if we can capture that, the faster we get to, you know, 10,000, that's a big step. But you get to 25,000, I actually am with like great reputation growing across the board. The rest can kind of take over itself for the next, for the next foreseeable future. And let's talk about the sales side of things, you know. Yeah. What are what are the products that you're offering to partners? You know, how are you pricing those products? Is it just newsletter ads? Like, how are you? If you're going to be at break even on payroll by next month, how are you doing that? Yeah. Uh, well, ads will make up about. Uh, we have a bunch of revenue sources. Ads won't even make up fifty percent next month. Uh, maybe fifty percent, just to ride that right around there. Um, uh, so you and your uh, uh, newsletter about us when we launched, uh, I got forwarded to me a bunch and everyone was like, wow, he was pretty harsh about, uh, about the sales side. Uh, and I said, he's right. Um, and the mistake that I very much tell people now is that I, I told you that we signed so many creators so fast. Um, and I was just like, honestly, I was just happy to find amazing people that would say yes. Um, that I didn't question at all tactics of where we should go. Um, and if I could go back and I had my choice, I don't regret anything. All of our creators are amazing. They're all growing like crazy. Like we got really fortunate with that initial group of people. But um, the reality was like, there's a more strategic way to approach this. Um, and I missed it at first. Um, and uh, talking to you and Sean Griffey and others that have like done this before, there's like a clear strategy to go. I was just worried about finding really good people that I like really enjoyed. And that was the downside. Um, and it made it hard though, climate, franchising, fintech and media and uh, healthcare were our, and cannabis uh, were our first group. There is no overlap of audience there, except on the media side, we found a few of them also subscribe to Perpetual, which makes sense. You know, like cannabis, you you could be in media and cannabis and interested in media in general. But either way, not a lot of overlap. Um, that like created disadvantages across the board on the sales side. Um, and so we started being more strategic of like going pod route. So we're about to announce another FinTech creator here in like a couple weeks. Um, that will be our third FinTech creator. We're going pretty heavy. Uh, you know, we announced Nick, 
we have about four or five more uh, lined up to, to join the marketing team and on the marketing pod there. You create these like pods of creators, it's like way more efficient. Um, so that's definitely a route that we're switching to, uh, which is, you know, thanks to your honesty in the email, made me question my, my tactics and come out of kind of my own bubble. But, um, you know, uh, with it, with what we actually sell, you ask that question, uh, banner, ad, like we don't do any banner ads. I still hate them. I always have, I won't do them. Um, we do display, uh, the regular kind of morning brew, the hustle style ads, almost, almost all of our revenue is B2B. Um, we specifically created a consumer section cause like part of our thing is make work fun. So like we want all our creators also to like shine their personality and be like, Hey, I love this sheets company, uh, whatever. So we do have some consumer revenue. That's almost like, it's almost like skim text driven short ads. Um, we have content programs, which when you're known for making great content, you're working B2B, as you know, it's a hell of a business. Um, we have a lead gen program that is, uh, different. I was at Spiceworks, uh, which is sold to Ziff Davis and I absolutely despised how they did leads. It was gross and, uh, inauthentic and had no integrity basically because it was like all third-party leads which is how it exists and so we created a new-ish uh not really new sean does something similar in industry dive but like a, a more uh a more authentic way to do leads that's not so getcha gotcha kind of driven um and yeah so that's that's kind of like the philosophy and, and tactics right now with with ad sponsorships well so let's lean in a little bit so you say you're b2b i'd love to understand I take a very, I'm uncomfortable with lead gen in many respects because it can be so just like Terrible. spammy and, yeah. you know, I mean, I've heard stories about media companies sending three, four, five marketing emails to their database a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard just horrible stories. So how are you making lead gen not that? Like, what are you doing that's different? Yeah. You just solve for what sucks. Honestly, that's almost all of what work week is. Just like, look, let's be honest with what sucks about everything. And then let's try to fix it because we can with time. And like, that's kind of the idea. Um, Lead gen, what sucks? Uh, Most publishers lie. They're not actually users of their platform. They buy it from third parties for 40 bucks and sell for 200. Um, They, it's bad for users. They, what you've mentioned, they send way too many marketing emails a day. They, they try to squeeze as much revenue per user out on the legion front as possible three content's never actually good um uh it's like it's normally made from the partner or it's like some like bullshit uh agnostic thing that they just try to like use and change out the sponsors for that doesn't actually work um and you know uh ultimately it's a business that like is hard to scale if you don't grow because like if your pool remains the same of users you're just going to keep asking them for their information. Um, and that's, it's also a, I call it like a growth connected service. And if you don't grow, you should just get rid of it. Um, and so we started to solve all that. So like, I'm actually the first legion with perpetual that I'm doing. And I wrote like a very honest, Beck and actually did it together. Very, very honest approach of how to choose an ESP. Um, of like, if you're a creator, I would use beehive and this is why if you're mid tier, I would use like campaign monitor. And this is why here's other options. And if you're an enterprise solution, I'd use sail through. And this is why, and sail through is the lead gen partner on that deal. I 
told them I'm absolutely recommending competitors. I'm absolutely like talking about people. And I drew the line. And the thing that media companies have struggled with in the past is that like the, the way you actually build cultural liquidity, this term that I took from this super smart guy named Henry, but um, the way that you build that is by looking out for your users. And at like the hustle, I made a block list that like I lived by and I made the team live by is like, Hey, if this brand is hard to work with or did something shady, like I talked about it before, but I cut like SoFi, I put SoFi on the block list when their CEO was like a huge scumbag. I was like, we're not working with a brand like that. Um, because that's not what's best for our users and our readers. And, um, Nathan at every said, you know, if you do something basically at like 90% of the full way, it's normally the best way for a media company. Like if you're a subscription company, but you just consistently put pop-up ads constantly up and send drip emails, like you're going 100%. It's not that good of a user experience. And so with lead gen, I'd recommend like take a step back, go 90%. Um, don't make it so awful. Solve for those things. And it's actually a great, great way to, great way to, uh, to monetize the, the base. Can you talk about the creator fund? Because you're now yeah. a media company with multiple different creators. You offer multiple different business models. And then you decide, you know what? Let's get crazier. Let's launch a fund on top of that. Yeah. The mechanics here, how does it work? And who has the final say of what gets invested? In? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so the fund was out of talking to the creators. Um, I'd say... Six out of 10 said one day they want to invest. Some of them were already investing, um, but doing like, you know, two to 10K checks. Um, and, uh, but all of them said, like, I want to invest. I want to like learn about investing. I want to be part of that process. Um, only one creator thus far um, has like a history where they've made more than like $100,000 in investments, which is Nick. Um, everybody else was smaller than that, but they, their ambition was there. And as I stated earlier, like we're about matching that. I never wanted a fund from day one. Um, it it's a shit ton of work. It's a lot of uh, it's for the, like the ROI of the company. It's not there uh, right now for the time that it takes. It's just fund economics aren't ideal, especially at ten million, um, which is our fund size. But the reality is for the uh, is I wanted to offer that to our creators so they could grow and learn. And it was important. And so we prioritized it early. Um, and then the way the economics work is like, I want basically this to be for like the creators bring us deals like all the time. And this is not unusual. Like you knew about work week before we even launched because like you're have the pulse of media and that's the same in climate. And the same in franchise and the same in all these other categories, like these creators are capturing deal flow. They don't call it that because they don't know that's what it is, but they are capturing deal flow. And then um, it leads to amazing opportunities to invest because we actually can identify these companies earlier. We can use their inevitable truths that they created to create thesis around their areas. Um, and then we can invest in it. Um, so there's an investment committee that we have for Workweek that is the um, for Workweek Capital, which is really like the final say. Um, uh, and that's mostly because there are ways to um, one of the risks of Workweek Capital is that you could play favorites here, right? Like, oh, I want to like uh, making this up, but like 
Nick could come to us and say, this is a portfolio co of mine um, that he might own a huge portion of and say, let's invest it. So we have to have some third party there just to like make sure that we're doing really good investments. We also are doing due diligence ourselves, not on the creator. The creator doesn't have to do the due diligence. That's on us. And then, but it's an education process the whole time where um, we're letting them know, like, if we pass, like, why? Uh, one of our, like, rules at Work with Capital is, like, actually, like, write out why if we pass, which is a learning for not only the founder, which is missing. Most VCs just pass and don't talk about it. But the other side is, like, our creators get to know what to look for um, and if, like, something missed. And so um, they, you know, uh, and then from an economics perspective, I got to know, all of the scout fund, I was offered a scout fund position. I got to know scout funds like really well, which in some ways this was what like people would call this is like, Oh, they're just providing deal flow and then, um, doing that. Uh, but our economics are not even remotely comparable to scout funds. Um, our creators, uh, if we invest in a deal that they bring us are taking like a huge portion of the management carry. Um, and that's, so they're financially being rewarded. I actually don't even see right now. Um, I say this to our investors. I say this to our LPs, like that I don't have, like as the GP officially, you have to have someone to do that. Like my upside is very, is almost non-existent. It's only about the money that I put in. Um, the rest of it goes into our creators um, and, and work week. And so that's the, that's the opportunity for them. It's like they can actually start to achieve financial upside through investing, which is a good way actually to do that. It's a great way to build wealth. They get to learn along the way. And for us, for our LPs, we get more looks than any VC out there, I can promise you. And, uh, and, and, and we have expertise to say like, this is good because of this and build out the thesis. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about Workweek Capital. Okay, so I want to talk about you as a writer. Because mm-hmm. you made the masochistic decision to run, decision. <laughs> to run a company, yeah. manage a bunch of people, yeah. and write a newsletter. Yeah. Only truly crazy people choose to do that. I know. Yeah. Why? My wife would agree. Uh, Why did you decide agree. to launch Perpetual? Two, two reasons. Uh, two, two big reasons. There's others, ego, you know, et cetera. I think anybody that writes like likes having their name in the lights and I want to be the authoritative voice in media, et cetera, et cetera, like all that stuff. But there's two strategic reasons that sound better than those reasons. Um, one is um, you, Brian Morrissey, uh, Sarah Fisher, all people I like look up to almost all three of you, I would consider, uh, Fred's in many ways. Like I've gotten to know all of you, uh, and just like deeply respect the work that you guys do. I knew work week was in some ways, um, going to create a business model that goes against some of potentially the inevitable truths that you all may believe. I could be wrong. Um, but this, business does require narrative. Um, it requires storytelling. It requires like saying like your thesis is wrong and I'm going to try to flip it on its head. Um, and it's really hard to do that. And like, I don't live in New York. Like one of my big disadvantages is like, I've not, even though like I'm a media person, like I live in Austin, Texas and I have my entire career. I have a degree in education and my mom's a nurse and my dad like was in real estate and worked at a grocery store in my life. Like I have no media connections whatsoever. And so at times, like I had this like 
fear uh, with work week that like, I so much believe in what we're doing, but like, I can't walk down the street and have drinks with the person that controls the narrative of the industry. Um, and I can't necessarily like have the inside information of what's happening on the streets of, 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 uh, operators. And so I wanted to start to write perpetual to get our story out there, but not in a work week forward way. But the reality is if you read all of my newsletters, they're really just our, their breakdowns of my memo from our, of our, uh, of our round and uh, my thesis that drives us. And like, it's a playbook into exactly how we operate. I just use the best of other examples that do that uh, and that inspire us. And so that was the first reason it's like, I wanted to have an opportunity to get our narrative out there that like, I don't believe others will give us the chance because in some ways what we're doing is going to compete with them or potentially call some of the things that they do wrong. Um, the next one was really like, that was kind of out of personal spite, I guess you can say, um, of like, I just wanted help. But the second one is Beck and I talked a lot about like, how do you keep the pulse of what the op the operating system that we're creating for creators? How do I keep a pulse of like, what's good and like, what's working? And to me, and like, how do we help make subject matter experts turn voices of authority? And, you know, I identify as someone who was, you know, the right hand for many years and no one knew who they were. My Twitter followers when I started work week was at like two, 3000. Like I wasn't known in any circles. I, I, I'm, you know, I wasn't big in the name. I had no newsletter or nothing like that. And so I consider myself a subject matter expert who like wanted to become a voice of authority. And so I was like, could we execute our playbook on me? Um, and then can I go through that experience authentically and say like, this part sucks. I hate this. Hey, I'm growing here, but like, because you added a podcast to my play, like I can't do this anymore of this other part. And I've been able to very much go through there and then have the empathy when I meet with our creators on staff and perspective ones and say like, I get it. Uh, this sucks. This is hard. Um, and it's been probably, um, one of the most rewarding things I've done. Uh, it's pushed me in a way that I didn't think I've ever be pushed. I don't identify as a writer. It's really hard, uh, to do. And that empathy I could have never built by just being a CEO of a media company. You only get that by doing it. And, um, I, I, I'm so happy and I help our operating team, like our podcast team a couple weeks ago. I was like, Hey, your notion template here is confusing. You know, like, I don't like it. Um, and you know, I like can give feedback and sometimes creators, no matter what, like some people just don't speak up and I have the opportunity and privilege to be able to do that. And so I am able to kind of hopefully refine some of our systems by going through it. So you're under five months old and the early times of building a company from zero to one, you're kind of just focused on the daily grind. But if you could step back and look to the future of the next three to five years, what does work week look like? Mm, good question. I, I think we will start to um, build a newer reputation. Um, right now, I think we're seen maybe some ways as a creator platform or a newsletter business or something. Um, and my goal is to be seen, uh, as the brand in business, um, that 
uh, if it's in your work week or part of your work week. Um, and, um, and that's, that's kind of where I want it to go. It's like nothing is, is not on the table, uh, or everything is on the table. Uh, we can do whatever we want, um, because we're in the business of business. Like I no industries off the table and no, no roadmap is off the table. And, uh, I think hopefully we'll be known for, excellent execution, amazing creators with huge personalities and great subject matter expertise for lifting voices up that have not been heard before. Um, and have, having people like, uh, you know, ultimately, like, I hope every person here today is with us in three to five years. And like, we're building systems to retain talent and team. And uh, I hope those people are like, that was the best decision of my life. And that's really what matters to me. I want to end with the same two questions that I ask every operator that comes on the show. Okay. First, what is a mistake you've made in your career that you wish you hadn't made? And what did you learn from it? Mistake in my career. Um, I think it's um, uh, not taking time to think about what drives you. Um, Shiny object syndrome is real. Um, and it happens in business a lot. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in a moment. It's easy to be like, Oh, this is amazing. And I've made that mistake numerous times where I'm like, Oh, and sometimes that may look like a rebound of a company that you're having a bad experience at. And you're like, Oh, I just want to go to this new shiny thing. Um, but if I could go back, uh, and tell myself anything like in the beginning of my career, it'd be like, take, take deep breaths, control where you're going. Think not about tomorrow, but, but think about the day after and, and see where it goes and, and don't fall for, for traps like that. And, uh, to me, that's, if people do that, they, they tend to be more fulfilled. And what is some advice you would give someone thinking about launching their own media company or looking to make their media company more successful? Um, there's a couple things like one, just press publish, just like go, uh, just like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about perfection. Um, imposter syndrome. We all have it. None of us know where to start. We all doubt everything that we do. I think people just need to take one step forward at a time. And if you're getting started, if you're trying to build a big, huge media company or just trying to start off on a sub stack, like whatever it is, is like, just be proud of the step forward and don't worry about the outcome. Um, and then last one uh, is, and this is a responsibility for anybody that has a voice in the space to help out people, but like reach out to the people you admire and tell them that and say, I'd love to talk. I have done that. Uh, I tweeted about this, but like I got coffee with one person for like three years, basically in a row uh, on a, every once a week. And that changed my life like a thousand percent. Um, and I was told no many times and, you know, people ignore me or whatever. No one really told me, oh, they just ignore you. But like, um, just keep pushing and meeting people and your network is really like your, your moat as a human. Um, and it, what it's how you're made up. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would just take one step at a time and, and build your network up as much as possible. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe and give it a five-star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com. Each Tuesday, I analyze the latest media news, and on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.